Well, welcome, wiretappers out there, back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. We have our good friend that many of you guys keep asking about. When are you going to get Cam back on? Cabulous Cam Robinson. Welcome, Cam. Hey, Gary. How you doing? Glad to be here as always. Well, hey, I, I get jealous of you. People never ask for me. Of course, I'm always here. <laughs> so when are you going to have Cam back? <laughs> right, right. I tell you this, uh, in, in my industry, I'm, I'm in the railroad, man. Business has been, you know, things have been in crazy. So work has been, yeah. my work schedule has been something. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've not been, been doing as much as I like. Really. Yeah. You know, my son's in the railroad business too. And and they, you guys are busy. I've <laughs> tried to keep those, that supply chain going from <laughs> the West coast to the East coast. And it's hard to do. It's, it's, yeah, it's difficult. Uh, There's so many parts that have to go together. It's amazing. Yeah. It's uh it's, it's quite a spider web. All right. Well, it's World Series time. I wonder if we're going to have a Yankees-Phillies World Series again. You know, they had one back in, I think, 2009, I believe, and and the Yankees won. Uh, so we're looking at maybe Yankees-Phillies. I, I don't know. What do you think? You, you I, look at that. I don't keep up so much. I know my mother was born in the Bronx, so she's, she's Yankees, <laughs> Yankees through and through. Yankees and, yeah, and, and all right. my brother likes Pittsburgh, so he doesn't really, uh, he doesn't really <laughs> care for Philly too much. So, yeah, I think that they would be happy with the – it would be the happy Yankees. if the uh, the Yanks win. Yeah, well, I think the Phillies play the Padres and the Yankees are are playing. Let me think. I made a note here. Uh, the Astros, Yankees are playing the Astros mm -hmm. tonight. So by the end of the week, we'll know. Uh, or mm -hmm. Next first of next week, we'll know who uh, who's in the World Series this year. And uh, but we're going to talk about Joe Bellacci today. But first, before we get started talking about Joe Bellacci, Cam, I know you got a book coming out. You've been working on it for quite a while. It's it's a kind of an exciting, different look at the Chicago outfit and 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 look at the probably the most important crew, uh, the Calabrese crew in Chicago. And you've got uh, an insider that you've been talking to. So tell the guys a little bit about that book and, and the title and some timeline when it may be available. Right. So it's, it's a little bit different than, than sort of what we've traditionally done. I met with the, uh, Frank Calvary's Jr.'s ex-wife, uh, Lisa Swan, and we've been together. And a lot of you may have seen our, our interview that we did about a year and a half ago. And she has, and it's an incredible story to tell. And the idea of what goes on in, in behind closed doors and, and what goes on in the household and, what happens with the kids when somebody gets arrested. And, and I think that it was important to get a woman's story out there and, and let people hear what it was like for her as, as a mother and, and as a, as a wife to go through that, what it does to marriage, what it does to, you don't get a female perspective. And, and she really opened up. She gave incredible insight, incredible information about what it was like and what it was like sitting down across the table from Frank Calvary senior and, what kind of man he was and how he could just switch it on, switch it off and and what she went through and what, what Frank Jr. went through and, and how they, you know, came together and, and came apart during hard times. It's, it's really an incredible story with a lot of real new insight into uh, Calvary senior and think, and, and, you know, we talk about Nick a little bit and there's, there's just not been sort of in-depth family look on this level with the, not, not, not really like you see uh, something like the Sopranos or Carmela's story. Yeah. It's along those lines. The yes. uh, we, we were back and forth with titles a little bit, but I think we said, what do you got? Uh, you know, you talk about the Sopranos. This is going to be a true real life mm -hmm. Sopranos look. 
at the life uh, inside the family. Nobody else has really done that. The Gravanos and the mob wife stuff that they've done, it's all uh, scripted reality TV, but it's all scripted. Nobody's yeah. ever really done what you guys are doing. Yeah, I think it was it was important. Uh, it was an important aspect to tell, and I think that she was she was an open book. I mean, I couldn't have worked with anybody better. I mean, Lisa was really she's really a powerhouse, and it, it's really something else. Listening to her just laugh one minute and and really talk about how painful it was the next, yeah, and and how scary it got at times, and and because you know, nobody was off limits. I mean, there was there were men and women on Frank Calabrese's notches, so uh, yeah. You know, nobody was, and he didn't pull any punches literally with anybody in the family. So interesting. I know, uh, and and her husband Frank Calabrese Jr. He stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from his dad during this time. So that'll be interesting to, to read about that. Her view of that, what that yeah, was. Her, her view and his view, and then you'll get sort of the, the full story somewhere. Uh, sort of, but yeah, it was it was really an incredible process working with her during the pandemic. So we did everything on Zoom. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's coming together. We've got a lot of great pictures that have never been seen of, of wedding and 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 cool. different people. So uh, the title we're at right now is the uh, the real Chicago mob wife uh, marriage uh, marriage money uh, miss uh, like the real Chicago mob wife. And I think that it's it really sums things up and sort of plays on what's. Uh, what's going on in the media sort of a play on words, but it also is the real story. It's not, it's yeah. not glamorized. There's, there's really no glamor to it. Um, it's just how a very strong woman protected her family as best she could during some incredibly difficult times. And, yeah. And it's interesting. Really a great story. And uh, we all look forward to that. I'm, I'm really interested in that. I'll be looking forward to doing an interview yeah. with you and, and Lisa whenever we oh, get that going. So of course you'll be the first on our first on our list. Gary. I mean, you, I, I, well, everything I've, I've, I've done to, uh, to you. I mean, as, as we said many times, you're my rabbi, Gary. So, uh, I plucked you, you know. out of obscurity. <laughs> right. <laughs> and promoted you to the big time. And then you right. left me in the dust. <laughs> From obscurity to somewhat unknown. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we all got to do something. Anyhow. Right. So let's talk about Joe Bellacci. Uh, really interesting. I've been wanting to do this for quite a while. As we were discussing before, we turn the camera on here about how uh, what an important person he was to come in and tell that inside story for the first time and then tell it in public they put him in the uh, uh you know was on television on the uh, uh mcclellan hearings yeah. and the, it's just the amazing and the Senate, or was it the Senate hearings? Anyhow, yes, he, yeah. he was telling this story in public, the inside story of the mafia in, in the United States that, that, you know, Jadger Hoover had pretty much denied. And and it's really as pivotal a moment as Appalachian was, I think. Yeah. You? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, that when you hit it, uh, like it was sort of a, a flash in the pan. I mean, it was a big to do, uh, but it really didn't give any insight. I mean, it was just a bunch of guys and yeah. who were these guys all together. But really, the only the only seismic change from that was the FBI suddenly had to become involved. But as far as the public, they sort of, you know, things are, are, are forgotten in short, just, just like today. I mean, a news cycle only lasts just so long. Yeah. But uh, once Lachi came in and really pulled back the curtain, uh, and people say, well, he was a low-ranking guy, but that really doesn't matter because he was a made guy and he had insights into that world that 
a lot of their their uh, non-Italian films couldn't provide. So it was, yeah. it, he just really opened the door and, and literally wrote the book in a way that only somebody inside that life could do. Really, you know, Joe Palacci, he wasn't educated, of course, like most of them, everyone who mm-hmm. I've ever looked at dropped out of school at some point in time. Yeah. And many times back then in the 20s and 30s and teens, they dropped out in grade school even and went to work. Yeah, yeah. And and who knows what kind of learning disorders or whatever. I mean, he was like, he was kind of a slow guy. But Yeah, but he had a native intelligence that made him a survivor. Yeah. <laughs> and he had a good memory for mafia stories, most importantly. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, everybody can't tell a story. It doesn't have a memory to tell a story, but this dude had a memory and could put it together and tell a story. And he ended up putting the, that memory to work for the government. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, and, and to look back at him, you know, he was not uh, from, he was not Sicilian. He, his family mm-hmm. was from Southern Italy, uh, came from uh, Campania, I believe, or Campania, I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Campania in uh, Naples. Right? In Naples, yeah. and, uh, it was Neapolitan, like Al Capone. And, and as usual, I don't know how many of these stories I've done. His father was a brutal alcoholic, and, and he left school, went into the street gang life. Uh, he earned his lifelong nickname when he was a kid was Joe Cargo because he could build those handmade scooters from wooden crates. And I guess cargo were like cargo and the were the, cargo were the crates, crates. Yeah. And, and so he could build those better than anybody. So everybody can, knew him as Joe Cargo. I can hear my aunt Delphina saying Joe Cargo. That was this, you know, because they, they just run over those R's completely. She yeah. was, uh, that uh, that leftover vintage Italian uh, accent from from the Bronx. And she was, they would say Cargo, Joe Cargo. Uh, okay. <laughs> she would just just mash up the whole end of the R. So. It was, like a like a, and I've seen it written with Joe's name C A H G O, you know. But it, yeah, it is it is cargo. Huh. Well, it, you know, it might be uh, what I saw is they had it spelled yeah, it's cargo no, like cargo, yeah, but yeah, it's cargo, <laughs> cargo crates, yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, you know, he started out in, in the street gang, uh, smash and grab kind of gang known as the Minutemen because you know within a minute they could they could smash some windows and go in and grab a bunch of stuff and. And get out now. They now they take a car and crash it into a gun store or something or a liquor right. store and grab all the extent, expensive stuff and have the other stolen car waiting for them out front. So uh, everything old is new again. But <laughs> <laughs> right. he, you know, he graduated to burglary and armed robbery like they all do. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the same story for ever from that. You know, oh, yeah, Lucky Luciano to. So Joe Malachi, Joe Cargo uh, went to Sing Sing like they all did. <laughs> and, and there's an interesting story I found. Right. Uh, you know, just like in the old movies, when I was a kid, they said you're going to have to go break rocks if you went to the mm-hmm. penitentiary. Well, I guess up in Sing Sing, they did give you a big sledgehammer to break rocks down. Must have had a, some kind of a, a, a quarry there. Quarry or something. Or something <laughs> bring rocks over for them to break. But uh, it really. um. I, when I read that detail, I thought that's he's really making them harder, you know, like lifting well, weights now, but breaking rocks then. <laughs> well, after his release of Sing Sing, he happened to get shot in the back of the head by a police officer who interrupted his gang in the middle of a burglary. They were getting away in a stolen car, and, and the, the policeman shot him in the back of the head, and they thought he was dead, so they just dumped his body. <laughs> Said they fired several shots in the air to attract the cops. And, and so the cops would show up and think he was just killed or shot. Mm-hmm. They thought he was dead, killed out there in another gang fight. 
No cops showed up and the gang, his buddies returned and said, well, hey, Joe's still breathing here. So they took him to a neighborhood doc who, who gave him some scotch, <laughs> gave him some booze as an anesthetic and took out the bullet. <laughs> and he'd later claim that all that work breaking rocks made him so tough that a bullet, bullet couldn't kill him. <laughs> they, they probably used that, that, uh, that same scotch as an antiseptic, too, when they were cleaning, <laughs> cleaning out the wound, you know? Probably, probably. <laughs> Different kind of doctor that they were going to. Now, he would end up marrying into a, a kind of a well-known mafia family, the Reinas. Uh, Gaetano Reina was a captain in the Morello family uh, during those times and, you know, started out in the teens. And and uh, other people at the time was uh, Salvatore Dacola and Joe Masseria. Those were, you know, these were like the early for, as the black handers kind of moved in and got more organized. These were the guys. These were Just the guys. as it was transitioning from the black hand when the, you know, the individual gangs and stuff to where it was, was really, we were getting more and more organized guys over from, from Sicily as, as the real influx of, of immigrants came in and it really started picking up. Yeah. You know, they started organizing in their neighborhoods and organizing in, in, in geographic locations and, and under people who were powerhouses back in, in the old country, they would come and, and maintain that status in, uh, in, in America. The, their representatives would come. And it was the same thing with, with uh, 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 Maranzano, who was representing someone from Sicily. So, I mean, it was, it was the same way with, uh, with all those groups for the most part. They had so, some clout they brought with them that sort of helped them become leaders. So, Joe is kind of coming of age almost when they have the big Castamarise War. Uh, Joe Masseria or Joe the Boss and Salvatore Maranzano start this war, which is going to start forming the modern day national crime syndicate. It, it, they had to have this war first and, and they kill Masseria or Joe the Boss and, and Bellacci ends up in the Maranzano family along with these Reinas. It's Gaetano Reina. Um, now, later, when he comes in, he'll describe his induction ceremony, which would have happened about that time, which I thought was really interesting. It's just like the modern, the most, what's the most modern one? The uh, uh, Patriarca family. Where yeah, the Medford, born, yeah, in 1989. In, in, in Medford, uh, 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 or, not Oregon. <laughs> Medford, uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah. And when he talked about the people that were with him, those are pretty interesting people who were in the room that day. A lot of I mean, powerhouses. Tommy powerhouses. And Casey and, and Bonanno and, and a lot of others. Wasn't and Profaci, mean, uh, Profaci was there too, yeah. Joe Profaci. Yeah. Three Fingers of Casey. Tommy Three Fingers Brown. <laughs> real real who's who of, uh, of uh, what we now know as the mob leadership. Is, yeah, is really. all there together. It must have been a huge ceremony, but I think that they were trying to fill the ranks. Got you know, guys had just come over. And they really had, were trying to build up the mob at a time. You know, prohibition yeah. was really picking up, and the money yeah. was pouring in. So they needed to fill the ranks, and they needed the guys they really could trust. I think it was also kind of during this mob war, this Castle Marise war too. So Maranzano was trying to. He needed recruits. He well, needed yes, soldiers, well, soldados ranks, yeah. <laughs> out there. But you know, <laughs> he, he described it. You know, he put a gun and knife in front of him, and Maranzano looked at him. And he says, this represents that you live by the gun and the knife and you'll die by the gun and the knife. And, and then he asked him, which was his trigger finger? And he showed him his right front finger now. And here, it, 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 he didn't prick it. But then Maranzano gave him this piece of paper 
and put it Saints in his cupped card, hands. Yeah. And, and, it's, and he didn't say in, in uh, Peter Moss's book, it didn't say it was a Saints card, but I got to assume that's what it was. It, it, it wasn't just a piece of paper. And then he lit it on fire. You know, they like juggle it between your hands as it burns up. And it's, and this is the way I'll burn if I betray the secret of a Cosa Nostra. So that's what he was told to say. I've heard Saints card and I've heard paper. And I think that a lot of people, you know, it, it, unless you're Catholic, you don't really know what a Saints card is. But you know, right. the little cards with the different saints and the information on the back. And, and you would have your your, your the, the saint of your day of birth. And, um, you know, I think that that sort of might add a holiness, but burning a paper, you know, imagery is really important to games. I mean, you know, this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Work. I mean, whether it's whether it's it's tagging or whether it's, you know, a knife <laughs> and a gun on a table or, yeah. or whatever it is, that sort of imagery and that shared yeah. mythology is important. Right. I mean, we really wearing red or blue, you know, right. I mean, it's, exactly. It's just huge. Uh, and it, as it, far back as Bellacci, we start to see that. We, yeah. You know, uh, another really interesting thing is uh, explain the rules to him afterwards, just like they're in in uh, Medford, Massachusetts. Uh, mm-hmm. Patriarcha Jr. did, you know, hey, you don't violate a member's wife. Uh, you 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 don't uh, never lay your hands on another member. Uh, that kind of thing, and and so it's all it was exactly like every mob guy yeah. that explained about when I talked to to uh michael de leonardo he said almost exactly the same thing i mean almost exactly so uh you know you can't say Balachi was lying about that for sure no and uh, those traditions are important in tying them together yeah another interesting thing was he explained when he started talking about how you introduce another member <laughs> and and you saw uh, uh donnie brasco right that's right. Yeah. So if you remember, the uh, lefty Rogerio told Donnie Brasco, well, you know, this is how we do this. If I say this guy's a friend of ours, that means he's another member. But but if you hear me introduce a guy as just a friend of mine, then he's not a member mm-hmm. of the mob. And so they're still doing that today too, yeah. and that's what Lachi they, they, they in they, 1989. They testified the same thing, and you can you hear in wiretaps they they talk about you know even recently the guys say that and they try and get it right, and in the Medford one they're trying. So wait, he's a friend of so you know, and it takes him a minute to get it, and 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 uh, but they that same tradition that and that was in New England, and this is this is New York, and and. You know, you see it in in the uh, the ceremony you know about in Chicago and in, in 1981. You see similar language from what we've been told, and um, you know, so that's a tradition that they really tried to carry everywhere uh, when they did it in Chicago, and, and they did it all over New York and, and Massachusetts and Philadelphia. You know, another thing about his story about this making ceremony that I think it's just it's like this has got to be real. There, this is how many people were there is. Maranzano asked the men sitting around this big table to start counting off, you know, one, two, three, four, five. When he got to 48, he was at Joe Bonanno, and, and Maranzano said, stop the counting and look at Joe Bonanno and says, you're going to be his goomba <laughs> or his godfather. Mm-hmm. And, and and so then later on, then Bonanno, not later on, but Bonanno then goes to Vlachi and pricks his trigger finger with a pen and said he's now a member of the family. and And so... Uh, that's when they explained this thing about friend of ours and friend of mine. Then they had a big meal and that's all, I mean, that's just, uh, that's how they do it. It's just uh, amazing when I read that. The, uh, you know, it's funny. um, But the, uh, uh, the weasel 
talks about yeah. when Cleveland, when uh, when uh, Scalise died, they hadn't made anybody since the 40s. And uh, Lips, Macero, and none of those guys could remember the ceremony in Sicilian. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Fradiano says they did a ceremony in a car in Los Angeles, but they, they did the same thing. They just did it just sitting in a car so they could make, make uh, Mike Pizzatello. And uh, they couldn't remember the ceremony in Sicilian. They should just do it in English. You know, they had to make some guys in, in Cleveland to fill the ranks. And um, but but yeah, you see that the, the same thing in trying to maintain that that, that tradition. But uh, you know, the I thought it was funny they couldn't remember how to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it so it is funny. They should have picked up the Velocci papers. They would have uh, <laughs> really. They <laughs> well, Angelo Leonardo came in sometime. He mm -hmm. testified the skim trials, and he, uh, I found his, you know, his description of it. It is yeah. exactly like this. So, uh, you know, in Kansas City, uh, we have a family, and uh, but we've never had anybody come in that was was a made guy that talked about any of these things and you know minor people came in and testified and went and witnessed protection on minor cases but they weren't people that really were were close to to made guys and close enough to know this but i finally got i, I wondered do we have ceremonies here and i finally got a guy to verify yeah we have ceremonies here now he wouldn't give me any more details but he did verify that so so we have a here in kansas city too although i bet they wouldn't know how to do it today to get uh peter moss's book yeah really that went out with nick savella i think when nick savella died quirky you know like why well, all that institutional uh knowledge that as we talk about when an older person leaves a unit somewhere you lose all that institutional knowledge all that's yeah. gone everybody's got to start all over again and I, you know like you said that leadership gone that the dominoes that led to all the leaders fall i mean if you, you kick off the dominoes it would be Velachi that, that kicked them off that led to all that information for years i don't mean to keep tying it back that's just how important this guy was so he he arrives just at the time, the 30s, the early 30s. That's when Lucky Luciano and Vito Genovese and Joe Adonis and Albert mm -hmm. Anastasia killed Joe the boss, Joe Masseria and Maranzano took over. It was kind of the, the boss of bosses in New York City for a while. And, and you know, he was right there in Lucky Luciano, then partnered up with Mayor Lansky to form the National Crime Syndicate and to do that. You know, he sent these four Jewish killers disguised yeah. as federal agents to kill Maranzano and they, and they took him out. And that's where, you know, I, I finally, I, I remember reading about this and I know it's been discounted the night of the Sicilian Vespers that kind of took on a myth all of its own. Have you heard of that? Cam? Yeah. You know, I think like you said, it has become mythologized because I mean, in that period of time, there was a big turnover of, of old school. And, and you see that from, from, you know, Los Angeles when, uh, when Dragna took over to, you know, the East Coast. And, like, there were a few guys killed here and there. I think that the idea of that, that became a legend in the underworld, and the FBI sort of heard about it through the, you know, through the, the cracks, and, and Bellacci sort of verified it because he believed it to be true, that there were a bunch of, there must have been a bunch of guys killed because all of a sudden there were all new leaders. So I think the idea of it tying together guys like uh, uh, Morello and 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 Dekila and all those guys who had already been dead, but you know there was a whole generation of old leaders that were wiped out over the course of a few years. Yeah. And I think you 
conflate that in your mind and, and it becomes the night of Sicilian Vespers and one night they went out and killed everybody. It's, it's, yeah. it's always been my take. Like you said, the legend sort of built in the making. Yeah, there were some other guys killed about that mm-hmm. time. Velocci would claim that Vito Genovese talked about a couple of them were killed because they were been hijacking Luciano's liquor trucks and were giving the money to Maranzano. So they were Maranzano's people, but they were going to go anyhow. They didn't yeah. have anything to do with Luciano taking over and, and, and right. being the new boss, the new Maranzano and, and forming a national crime syndicate and forming the five families divided up into the five families because that happened. So, but that's just to let you guys know that's when Joe Valachi is coming of age. When right. there, he's part of all this. He goes yeah. into the, the Luciano family. He's like the Forrest Gump of the early mafia formation in in, in New York City, and, and he worked for Tony Bender of Strollo and that crew, and had a slot machine he was supposed to develop and maintain, and 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 like he's there when Laguardia cracks down on the slots mm-hmm. and Frank Costello. Then you know he takes threw them all in the in the, in the river in the river, yeah, and. and Costello has to take his slots down into Louisiana. Louisiana. I mean, this is this is the formation mm-hmm. of the modern day crime syndicate, and Balachi was right there. So, yeah, of course, he, he really he goes into numbers and loan sharking, the usual sources of income. But and during these years, uh, they had also started getting into heroin from yeah. the Middle East, you know, through Sicily and and maybe usually to Cuba, up to Tampa, and then on up to the United States and or maybe up to Canada and down to Canada New York. Detroit, yeah, in New York. Yeah, and so, you know, it started, they figured out primarily the Italians were getting the heroin in and they were flooding in the black areas of the cities uh, mm-hmm. with heroin and, and had a huge heroin epidemic during that time. And and uh, so that's, you know, that's when he's coming of age and he gets involved in that next uh, during the 40s, during the war, uh, just before the war and during the war and right after the war. That's when it really starts to to go then. And uh, they, he had he and a guy named Pasquale Pagano had done something for Genovese. Genovese, if you, you remember, he was. He was in Italy during the war. I never figured this one out. Do you know much more about that? So he had he had uh, he was deported. Uh, he, he was he was threatened with deportation, and so he, he he fled. And he spent time in Italy. While he was in Italy, he worked as a racketeer for the U.S. The U.S. Army. They they came in Italy, so he worked for the U.S. Army basically as as a as a as a local guy. You know, as as their as a local fixer and and. Uh, he also smuggled a lot of a lot of U.S. Army equipment and rations and everything, and, and sold that. And he had a partner in uh, he had a partner over there. But there was a if I'm remembering right. It's been a while since I read my Vita Genovese. There was a uh, a journalist who was killed, and, and he had to flee. And then he came back when the, wit- the witness against him was murdered, and he was able to come back. And he was he was because of his ties to government and all. He assumed he would be pardoned and there was no more they were no longer trying to deport him because he had letters of commendation from uh, from several high-ranking military officials also interesting you know i mean and he was he would get in with mussolini on you know in in a few years and then he would be in with with the u.s military i mean bio generation was really he was a survivor <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> so anyhow you know 
Blotch is going to end up close to Genovese. Um, in fact, he thinks Genovese is trying to have him kill when when he kills somebody. But that's we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Here's how he became close with Vito Genovese. Is Genovese comes back and he wants to take some revenge on a guy named Stephen France, F R A N S E. And he, it seems that Genovese had given France. Uh, a job, if you will, of, of had overseeing and taking care of his wife while she was in, he was in Italy. And turns out she was, had a mind of her own. She had affairs. She had filed a lawsuit against Genovese. I, I don't know any more details about that. And there may not there ever, we may There's not a podcast about it. Anna Genovese, but I don't, uh, I don't know. Really interesting. Yeah. But anyhow, so he got, Bellacci and his partner Pasquale Pagano to lure Francis, Francis, Francis. Uh, I wonder if there's any kin to Francis, eh? <laughs> Francis to a restaurant and they strangled him in this is 1953. And they they've been they're kind of this is a precursor to the French connection heroin. And these two guys had already been involved in bringing uh, heroin from France. Uh, originally from the Mideast to the United States. Right. And I, I think that, uh, I'll just say, I mean, uh, part of the reason he got, he had busted was there was some complaint about the quality of it. And I think it, it goes to show how, how disorganized that heroin smuggling was at that time. They weren't getting the top tier, you know, when, when they were getting such pure heroin later on, once the, the, they were in uh, Marseille and, and getting stuff out of Turkey yeah. and, you know, the heroin, from what I understand, the the quality was was so pure and so strong when it came in, it could be cut up a bunch, so more money could be made out of it. Yeah. But um, what they were getting in at that time was apparently just just low grade. Not, and I don't know, I don't know my heroin varieties, but I think that it was not uh, it was not the quality that they would get in because they were still establishing inroads, as, as I sort of right. Uh, it's got to be interesting the story about how uh, you know how this came about, how this got exposed with, uh, with Bellacci and the guys he was involved with. It, was, uh, it started in 1949. There's a case out there online. I, I researched it there and also in uh, Peter Moss's book, the Bellacci papers, but uh, uh, the federal Bureau of Narcotics, they were the only people that were working the mob because of this heroin thing. And they were documenting uh People that were in the mob, they they identified there was a La Cosa Nostra of Mafia. They had it. There's a great big book out there with yeah. all these guys in it. That's uh, Bill Owsley, my FBI agent friend, says this is the Bible that you know they were able to use when the FBI finally started looking at the the mafia. So uh, they were onto it because of this heroin connection. So the story about how he he got popped. There was a guy named Joseph Orsini who was a one of these traffickers, and he was in Ellis Island, and they were trying to are going to deport him. I guess you know they brought people into Ellis Island, so they had you know places to hold people and to you know have facilities for that. And they, I guess when you were going to get deported in the early fifties, uh, they sent you to a, some kind of a holding place at Ellis Island. Anyhow, he's there. And I would imagine the federal bureau of narcotics put this guy in there, a guy, there, yeah. guy named Lafitte. And, and I don't know anything more about him, but he, he was an informant for the uh, federal bureau of narcotics. And, and he got in with, with Orsini and, 
start working together in some kind of a smuggling ring. And, and, and it was kind of interesting. The agent there, I found this name, the agent that ran Lafitte, his name was Giuliani. Now, I don't know if he's one of Rudy's relatives or not, but uh, yeah, <laughs> his name was Giuliani. Anyhow, Lafitte gets in with Orsini and Orsini starts using him like he sent him to somebody else. And, and the guy was a little leery of Lafitte and, uh, Orsini, I, this was weird too, but I mean, it's pretty straight, good source that he went, sent back a letter of introduction saying Lafitte's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy trusted him then. And, and Giuliani knew that Orsini was a pretty major trafficker and it would import as much as 10, 20 kilograms of heroin at a time. And probably this little deal here, this is a small deal, was to test Lafitte and see, you know, what he was made of and and where this would go in some little small deal and seemed to pass that. And then he got introduced to another traffic trafficker named Shilatini. Uh, he was going to make a deal to buy a quarter of a, helo, a kilo of 30 for $3,300 from Shilatini. And this is where Balachi enters the picture. You talked about how the, the quality wasn't very good. Well, well, they got this quarter kilo from Shilatini and he brought it back to Orsini and, the, and they complained that the quality was for crap. So he goes back to Shilatini and Shilatini says, well, you know, let's go back to where I got it from and, and talk to that guy. So they go back. Yeah, the, the heroin. And so they go back to this restaurant and the guy doesn't appear, but they leave and they walk out in the street and Joe Velocci appears. And Shilatini says, oh, there he is. And, and so they confront Joe Velocci and, and he makes this statement. He says, I can do nothing. The way I get it is the way I give it. I give my word. I never touch it. So, you know, he, he, he admitted that. And, and of course that statement is a statement gets interest and, and connects him to that heroin. And Lafitte continues working undercover for the next few years. And they have another deal. They have a courier named Salas who was from, I believe it was an Argentinian and worked on as a steward on a steamship that went between La Havre, Port of La Havre in France and uh, New York city. That's why I say that's kind of early precursor to the French connection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So they were paying Salas $2,000 to bring in 10 pounds of heroin. And Joe Velacci was supposedly part of that. That was This is all part of the case they're building on Velacci that gets him down to Atlanta for a long stretch in penitentiary. Um, he said he used a guy named Pagano, which he was connected to mm-hmm. Pagano. Uh, Pagano went from New York to La Harve, and he somehow got the heroin over there and then gave it to Salas. And then he flew back to the United States while Solace transported the heroin. Uh, then they sent somebody else to get the 10 pounds from Solace. And then Pagano came back in. They keep everything compartmentalized and gave him 900 bucks. This is typical mob activity here. Give him 900 bucks and say, we'll give you the other $1,100 later. And they never paid the balance. Right. And, and that is when they ended up charging Joe Velacci with part of this whole ring. And he got 15 years and, and he went to Atlanta. <clears throat> so yeah. that's how he ends up down at Atlanta where he ends up killing the guy. 
it's it's funny. Can you imagine somebody like a Vito Genovese or somebody just being stopped on the street and the guy saying, you know, that that heroin you gave me is no good, and and him saying, well, what can I do? I just give it to you in the same quality I get it. <laughs> really? <laughs> like not seeing that for for what it it clearly was. I mean, I'm not. I don't wouldn't consider myself especially street smart compared to the average mobster, but I mean, even <laughs> I would smell a rat, you know, in, in that situation. You know? <laughs> but really. Yeah, it's uh, that's what we call a statement against interest. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was in his interest to keep his mouth shut, and he made that statement, which was not in his best interest. <laughs> no. No. What can I do? Just a dopey guy selling heroin. And so this is, you know, during these last couple of years here before Blotchy went to the penitentiary, I mean, this guy, he's, he's around, and he's working for Genovese, and Tony Bender Strollo and during this time, and that's when Genovese makes his move to take over the old Luciano family. You know, Frank mm-hmm. Costello's been running it as kind of a caretaker. And if you remember that story, first thing Genovese's got to do, he's got to get Albert Anastasia out of the way. Because he is the guy that's going to protect Frank Costello. And and he also uh, is uh, one bad dude. It- you know, it also, it was a long, you know, when he got Willie Moretti in 1951 and that allowed Genovese to take over New Jersey. I mean, he was really consolidating his power for yeah. years to make that move. I mean, he was working behind the scenes for a long time before that strike. I mean, it, it's really the way the way Genovese worked, you know, he played the long game, you know, yeah. he really, was really something else. He was. And of course, you know, it's the famous story that he then sends the chin uh, Vincent Gigante to kill Frank Costello and he didn't get him killed. Costello says, ah, you know, I don't really know who that was that shot me. And by the way, I'm stepping down from my right, life. Yeah, and- <laughs> Frank knew when to get out, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Frank, uh, Frank knew how to read the room. And Genovese, see, he wanted to make money out of heroin and Genovese, I mean, and Costello didn't want anything to do with that. He was making plenty of money with gambling and he wanted, he, he was like the Paul Castellano versus John Gotti. Yes. Costello wanted to make this more like a business and, and Gotti wanted to make it more like street rackets. Well, the same yes. thing was going here, you know, that uh, uh, that's Costello a good, that's wanted a good to make to like it. a business and Genovese was more into running street rackets. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good way to put it. And Costello could meet with political figures and, and yeah. judges and, and, and that, you know, you know, Genovese would send other people to do that. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't do it himself. He, he, he was way too James. dirty. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't want to sit down. <laughs> so this sets the scene. Now, how did Genovese, how did Vito Genovese ended up, being convicted of a narcotics charge and, and end up down in Atlanta with Joe Palacci. I looked into that. Now, best mm-hmm. I can tell, uh, it's claimed that the Federal Bureau of Narcotics wanted him so bad that they just paid a Puerto so, Rican uh, narcotics dealer to give testimony against him. I, I, I don't know. You know the, the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, you know, they, they've been beating their heads against the wall with the mob for a long time. And I think that, uh, you know, once after uh, after Appalachian, there's rumors that it wouldn't have been that hard to get somebody in the underworld to be paid either by the, the Bureau of Narcotics or by the mob themselves to implicate Genovese and get rid of him. I mean, there's, that story goes both ways, that, that the Bureau of Narcotics did it, but also that the mob did it mm-hmm. and, and had a lower level guy 
informed because that was his sort of punishment for setting up at Lincoln and for, for being too, it was, it was just living too broadly and he was too violent and, and it was just way too, too many people were killed. I mean, all of Genovese's capos were, were, he, he killed so many of his capos and they were all trying to kill one another. I mean, the, the Genovese family under Vito Genovese was, was really, you know, you, you didn't have a long retirement plan. I mean, it was just really a lot of those guys and the dead ones Vito took over. Yeah. And um, uh, Palisano and, and Tony Benestrolo and, and, you know, and, and they ended up killing each other and then they, uh, they were killed themselves. And um, I think the mob wanted to be rid of, I always thought the mob wanted to be rid of, of Genevieve so the mob had something to do with setting him up. Yeah, I, I, but the, but the Bureau of Narcotics makes just as much sense because yeah. they would have had all the insiders. Yeah, they would have had enough dirt on them. They could have they could have motivated somebody <laughs> to to give testimony. And it might have been a combination of mm-hmm. the two. You know, those uh, both those FBN agents and the mob guys were were not above. You know, if the if they could combine their forces to get something that both of them wanted, then you know they yeah. just you could work together. I can, I mean, I could see how that could happen too. Yeah. Anslinger's Bureau of Narcotics was not Hoover's FBI. They were just not the same, not the same organization. No, and they were, they got stuff done on the street. Yeah. That's, well, that's the thing. <laughs> the Anslinger's organization was, was more willing to get dirty and they were more yeah. willing and they got yeah. a lot more done. And yeah. part of the reason the FBI was so far behind the curve is because Hoover just didn't like Anslinger. And so he refused to acknowledge what Anslinger had been working on for decades. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. That's Harry Anslinger. He was, uh, mm-hmm. uh, he came out of World War II, uh, some kind of a spy, and uh, and then he took over the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, and and then he went into the CIA, didn't he? Uh, later on, and and was a big uh, uh, guy that was obsessed with finding uh, moles inside yeah, the CIA. Moles in, yeah. So he had a, a long, uh, illustrious career in. in uh, spy work if you will yeah intelligence and and uh, undercover work and all that and and, and was and just obsessed guy. with things yeah yeah when he got you in your crosshairs i mean he was going after you he went after uh, <laughs> musician yeah. billy holiday pretty heavy i mean yeah. he, Harry oh, Anzinger, yeah. like you you said he'd get obsessed so vito genovese was a, was uh, an easy person for him to obsess on yeah, and and he would like you said, and he would do what was necessary mm-hmm. to get the job done, as we used to say. There's a guy that'll do what's necessary, which is translation, rough translation of that. He'll lie, or he'll cheat, or, or he'll plant evidence, or or do whatever he has to do. You know, they say Anslinger also is a guy that that helped turn the whole country against heroin. I mean, against marijuana and made marijuana schedule yeah. one narcotic, and we're still paying the price. So they still a schedule one narcotic, just like heroin or meth or something. It's crazy. Well, they're putting a committee together. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, we, we digress <laughs> in the social problems of the day. We're, <laughs> we're doing mob here. history here. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I can't figure out. Why did Malachi think that Genovese thought he was an informant? Did he just like pick up word that there was this contract out on his life? Or He said that as I understood it, it was the way that, yeah, he heard word that, that Don was upset with him, or he said that the Don gave him a kiss, yeah. and it was the kiss of death. And then uh, he thought that when Genevieve gave, embraced him, gave him a kiss, he was kissing him you know, for death, for getting busted for selling heroin. 
And it's likely that Genovese really wasn't, might not have even had a good idea of, of God wasn't especially familiar with Valachi. And the Valachi thought that Genovese's man was coming to kill him. And yeah. it, it was just, that wasn't, doesn't seem to have been the case at all. I mean, Valachi just seems to have been so paranoid since he got busted with heroin and got to prison with his boss. I mean, I think that he was just paranoid. Um, you know, and there is a certain level of paranoia that, that comes at that with that lifestyle. I mean, you know, right, those guys are, are, are cagey. Yeah. And um, it almost seemed to me that that Blanche was just just paranoid. And I don't I don't think there's any there's no source that I've ever seen that validates that, that Genevieve wanted Bellacci dead. Yeah. There's just Bellacci's version of events that doesn't quite add up. So, you know, long story short, he killed, he killed a guy with a lead pipe in prison that he thought was coming to kill him who wasn't, probably didn't know anything about what was going on. Yeah. And so now he's got a murder charge on him, and that's when he needs starts talking. Now, he never, ever gets out of jail. He spends the rest of his life yeah. in jail. Anyhow, uh, they didn't like make a deal and put him witness protection, and send him out to Podunk, Texas to try to fit in. Like, uh, they built him a special, <laughs> yeah, they built him a special cell, the Velocci cell. It was like a little, little, uh, uh suite, with, okay, uh, a kitchen and an apartment. It was, but he was still incarcerated when Vinnie Teresa became an informant. He went to stay in that apartment with Joe Velocci because oh. it had, it had, it had bedrooms. And then when Sammy Gravano, uh, became, he stayed in the Velocci suite. It's called the Velocci suite. Oh, be darn. So, yeah. So they, they, cause they couldn't let Velocci out on the street back then. They couldn't, you know, yeah. there, was, there was no, like you said, there was no witness protection. So he just had to live the rest of his life in this cloistered in this little, in this little apartment. And his only, his only friends being the FBI agents. Wow. Well, and then he starts, they put him in public, like we talked about earlier at the start of this. Yeah. And he named names. He named the names of the bosses, the different families, the induction ceremony, the uh, oath of Omerta. Uh, he told a real story behind a lot of mob murders during his lifetime. And this is in the early 60s. Um, I graduated from high school in 1963 is when it was when he was talking. I kind of have some vague memory of this uh, being in the news at the time when I was in high school. It's it's like, you know, you tell the story of the guy you knew who was the, the uh, professional verifier. Yeah. And, uh, not an informant. He's a verifier. And that's right. that's what uh, that's I, when I think of Bellacci, that's what I think is, you know, he, he verified things. He told them things he was aware of and he verified things that he had heard. And he verified some things that he didn't know anything about, but he, he wanted the guys to like it. So, yeah, I, I don't think he really testified against anybody. Hmm. And put him in jail like Gravano did. And that's what they really require you to do today is you got to go testify you know, against Gotti and help put him in the penitentiary for make the case on him and get him convicted. He just, you know, told the general story of, of about the mob and here's what, who they are and here's what they do and, and named those names and took, took the kind of shroud of secrecy off of him. That's really interesting. I never really thought about that before until I got into this. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he didn't make cases for the FBI. No. He just told them this is what really happened. This old case. Yeah. He just, he just, he just pulled back the curtain, explained, you know, because the FBI had been watching the guys since 1958 and, you know, they, they, 
had a rough idea of it. this guy was important and this guy this, but they didn't know that, it, that you know about the, the ceremony you know, that, I, that I'm aware of. They didn't know a lot about the structure. They didn't know all these guys in all these far off towns. I mean, he gave them places like Utica, New York, and he gave you know he gave them all over the place. And some of them were places the FBI was aware of and said, "Hey, you heard of this guy?" You know, there was there's the incident when Vlachi's testifying, and the guy says, "What about what? Who's the boss of Omaha?" And Vlachi's one second, Senator, he looks over, and they they said, "What did he say?" He said, "The hell is Omaha?" <laughs> really? <laughs> so, you know, the senators were asking about their own states, but yeah. That, you look up that uh, if you can find that clip, it's really funny because Genevieve, you know, Malachi engages with him and says, One second, Senator. And he, he <laughs> talks to his lawyer and he comes back and he says, No, sir, there's <laughs> the hell is Omaha. <laughs> he did talk about a cardo, though, being mm -hmm. uh, uh, and uh, the man in, in Chicago and, and some of those things, other cities. That's about as far out as he got. Yeah. I, so and that, I that's how, how important the cardo was. Yeah. I wonder how much Valachi knew and how much he was willing to just nod and say yes, because he was leaving a big brotherhood. You know, he lost yeah. all his friends. All his, he lost. He lost. I mean, his wife. was, But I mean, he lost that fraternity that was so important to those guys. He, he lost all his friends and everything. So when he joined this new group of guys, the FBI, and he would cook for them and everything in his little suite, um, you know, he'd get excited to be around his his around men again and his own his own sort of ill and i think that Balachi gave up a lot of really important information and i think that you know the fbi also asked him questions maybe he didn't know and he would he would just nod and be and just yeah. be happy to get you know patted on the back yeah it'd be pretty easy to uh, run your pet theory about who killed somebody mm -hmm. and why they were killed uh, and, and run that by him and and, and he could see his native intelligence, as I said, mm -hmm. he had a huge amount of native yeah. intelligence. He yeah, could see that he wanted this guy's protection. He wanted this guy's uh, approval. And he just have to say, yeah, oh, yeah, that's the way that happened. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then it becomes fact. So exactly. Uh, but I, I, I think not maybe the details in the no. weeds of the details is not what's so important about no, him. No, no, what's no, important no. about him is is the overall picture that he painted of, for the American this, public at the time. Built the structure of the mob. Yeah. They, they didn't. The FBI didn't have that. They didn't have capos and soldatos and, and underboss and boss and, and yeah. consigliere and they didn't have those things. they didn't have any of that they didn't know an associate they didn't know what it was to be a main guy they just didn't they didn't they didn't have the insight and when you see those senators asking questions you know it's like today when they question the guys in silicon valley they, they don't know what questions to ask they just they, <laughs> they sound like they don't know anything and those senators like asking about who's the boss of omaha nebraska i mean <laughs> yeah. You know, they didn't know anything until Balachi opened the door. And there was a boss in Omaha, Nebraska, and I can't remember his name. I, if you go back and check my Midwest mob tour, I, right. went, I, went to right. I went to Omaha and, and I did some research on it. They have a little Italy. They've got a really nice Italian restaurant that I ate at and, and a little Italy and a Sons of Columbus uh, uh, hall there and the whole nine yards. Same way with Des Moines. Uh, Des Moines was, uh, their boss was uh, Charlie... Uh, 
Trey Dozioe and then yeah. Louis Frato yeah, out of Chicago. Yeah. They're really like a a crew. Oh, Chicago yeah. is what Des Moines was. And and Omaha was not such a big deal. There's a lot of gambling over there, but but they did have their own boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, uh, I, I digress again. But you know what was another interesting thing? One of my last things here about this whole deal is his handlers would later say that being with this guy, this career mafia soldier, the organization, after being with him, this organization couldn't have been too big a deal because he ain't the sharpest tool in the toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> really? <laughs> Races, guys. Yeah. <laughs> which which by the uh, 1990s turned out to be true. <laughs> they didn't, mm-hmm. The mafia didn't have a chance against RICO and uh, uh, technical surveillance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that is true. It did. You know, once they got rolling, they just knocked all those pins down. Yeah. So that's uh, you got anything else about Balachi that you remember? You've read about him or no? I just you know this? I remember Vinny Vinny Teresa talking about how sad and and sort of a broken guy Balachi was later yeah. in life. You know, yeah. just just because he had, you know, I guess that you know it's important to have your your that fraternity around you and and your sort of you know, and those guys who come from, from broken families and all they grow up with those guys in the yeah. street. And, and that always kind of struck me because I never thought of Velocity like that as, as you know, like he's just a, you know, a guy who talks about the mob, but it really, uh, he, he gave up everything, including himself, when he gave up that information to the FBI. And uh, in the end, he was a real sad little guy who would, who would cry and uh, he loved to cook. But yeah, in the end, he was just alone in his little cell down there, hmm. and uh, he was he was really lonely, and uh, and so it kind of, you know, and that I just, that's kind of kind of an interesting detail that I I don't remember seeing, but Vinny Teresa tells those uh, those anecdotes, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is. Now, is this in this? It was in the Malachi Suite. Was that in this Latuna, Texas yes. prison, federal prison yes. down there? Okay, and 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 Gravano ended up down there too. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> how appropriate, huh? Yeah, I I want to say that um, from Philly, uh, 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 the under boss of Philly who went down there. Um, oh yeah. Oh God. I, and he ended up. And I, I believe he stayed there briefly before moving on to uh, to to Arizona. Yeah. So I think they've used that to house several high-ranking guys. Um, Leonardo, uh, uh, Phil, uh, Leonardo, Phil, Phil, uh, Phil, Phil, Phil Leonetti, Leonetti, yeah. Thousand, I come from him. Um, but I think they used that cell for years. The Vlachi Suite. Hmm. The Vlachi Suite. Interesting. Well, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really heard that before. That's uh, I, I seem I have some vague memory of reading that, but as when I was going through this doing this research, I didn't find that. But it's good to remember the Balachi Suite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cam. Anything else on this? No, no. I was I was glad to be back and had a lot of fun as always. So, All right, uh, yeah, yeah, this was I'm, a good one. Come so back fun. more now. Yeah, this was a fun one. Uh, yeah. So don't work too hard, and and remember, you guys out there. I ride a motorcycle, although it's a little bit cold for that right now. And from there here on out, I would imagine. And uh, by the time you get this, we'll know who the champion of the World Series is. And 
If you have a problem or you have a friend, if you've been in service or you have a friend that's been in service, you have a problem with PTSD, be sure and go to that uh, VA website and get that hotline. Give them a call because there is help available. Thanks a lot, folks. And thanks a lot, Cam, for helping with this story. Absolutely.